Hey, this is James, and Sana is taking the day off on this episode of Baboshdan, and I wanted to share with y'all who listen in a little bit about my own personal philosophy when it comes to podcasting principles and some of the ideals that I keep in mind as I'm producing my own shows or those of people that employ us to edit their shows. So this is a little bit about who I am as a podcaster, some of the approaches that I take to it. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. I began my podcasting career in early 2015. So here in August of 2022, I've been at it for about seven years, seven and a half years. And in that time, there's an observation that I've made about the podcasting craft in general, that it's cause for concern. And that concern is a conspicuous absence of artistry in people who publish their podcasts. Now, there's no shortage of podcasts out there. Don't get me wrong. And some of them are very creative. Some of them are very well produced, uh, but they just lack what I would call artistry. Far too often, a podcast is viewed as a mere marketing tool, a means of making others aware that you exist, generating leads to follow up for your business. This is not a bad use of a podcast. It is not an incorrect view of a podcast. It's all that, and probably more, regarding marketing a business or a personal brand. But to view a podcast as only a marketing tool, only a means of generating revenue, whether it be ad revenue or affiliate revenue, we have missed the mark. Now, let's transport ourselves out of the digital age to an era that's very different from our own, yet remarkably similar in many ways. I'm talking about the period of music history known by people with more degrees than me as the, quote, classical era of music. This is Mozart in his prime. Haydn, Handel are his contemporaries. So let's ask this question. What musician has more brand longevity, global recognizance than Mozart? Going on 250 years after his death, his name and compositions are universally recognized, used in movies, television, just on the radio. They're common. Who hasn't heard of Mozart? But would you consider any of his symphonies, any of his concertos, his operas, to be marketing tools? That's essentially what they are, if we want to be completely transparent from a marketing perspective. But Mozart was an artist first and foremost. Now, let me clarify a little bit what I just said about a marketing perspective. Mozart was not a marketer. He was not an entrepreneur. He was a, uh, a musician, first and foremost. But the reason that he is still recognized is because of his music. So uh, that's what I mean by saying a marketing perspective. So we hear, we know of Mozart because of his music, because of his artistry. But he was an artist, first and foremost. Now, if you've seen the movie Amadeus, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you see it, just for no other reason than you just get to be exposed to great, great music that was uh, performed by one of the top orchestras in the world. But there's a scene at the very end, after uh, Mozart 
well, the character that plays Mozart has passed away. His body is just dumped. It's just like he's stuffed into this little uh, carton or a little uh, bag of some sort. And he's just dumped into a pile of corpses. Now, that's not exactly how uh, Mozart was buried. <clears throat> From what I understand, he was well known. He was given a dignified burial. And that scene where he was, uh, where he passed away and he was uh, just tossed aside into a big pile of corpses, that was more metaphorical about how great art is trivialized and made common by the mass media. Now, 18th century Austria, where uh, Mozart was in his heyday, that was not a boon for capitalistic enterprise. A person like Mozart was dependent on the graces and whims of wealthy benefactors, and not everyone in that time and place was wealthy. Now, I'm not saying that anyone listening to this podcast or even speaking into the microphone right now is on par with um, Mozart when it comes to artistry. But there is a principle we can learn and apply to our own podcasting endeavors. Mozart was an artist first, a marketer second, maybe fifth if we were to get really technical about it. His music is art first and foremost, and great art at that. This is why his music has transcended not just his own era, but literally centuries later, he's a household name all over the world. Impressive. And it's because he focused on the art, first and foremost. Creators in the modern era can learn something from this. Of course we want to get the word out about our business and generate new revenue. Of course we want new listeners. Of course we want to build an audience. That's the whole point of doing it. What's the point of just speaking into a microphone if people aren't going to press play on Apple Podcasts or even on your website? A podcast that doesn't have that as its goal, it's probably not going to last very long. I say this as the co-host of a podcast with my wife, Sana, that has been done as a means of bonding as a husband and wife more than to generate revenue. We haven't earned a dime from it, but we have bonded as a husband and a wife. If a podcast has a purpose other than making money, great, knock yourself out. But let's get real here. We do want to recoup our investment in time and resources to put out a podcast as much as possible, even make a profit with it. And the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that artistry is the only way to go about it. So what is artistry as it pertains to a podcast? The comparison to Mozart obviously has its limitations, but I think we could learn a lot from the methods and sometimes madness of a creative genius and prolific creator of his stature. First of all, Mozart has a distinct sound to the point that even a novice music a listener here in 2022 could probably identify one of his works without ever hearing it, assuming that they're familiar with some of his other work. Now, Mozart wrote for orchestras because orchestra was really the only option he had available. There wasn't electric guitars, there wasn't acoustic guitars, that's all he had, violins. But if you've ever heard Mozart, you can listen to something that he wrote that you've never heard before, and you can at the very least make an educated guess that he wrote it. I've mistaken Haydn for Mozart before, and vice versa. Those two were contemporaries, and they borrowed from each other heavily in their creating. Now, here in 2022, let me just bring us back to the present day. Far too often I hear podcasts that just lack a distinctive sound that sets them apart from others. You take away the obvious distinction of 
uh, the voices of the people that are hosting them, or perhaps as guests, you take that away, and just so many of them sound exactly the same. Cheap music purchased on Pond5. A short-spoken intro with text that's remarkably similar to so many others, with a just generic voice that just lacks that oomph that makes someone want to keep playing while they go about their business. I would call that energy from on high that just make you, you just want to listen to it. So many are lacking that energy. The interview, the commentary is more or less the same as every other podcast out there. They're listening to their favorite podcasts and say, well, this is what we have to do. So this is what we're going to do so that we can get listeners ourselves. And it, it turns out that copying or mimicking others is a recipe for burnout. A few real leaders in the podcasting sphere actually create something unique and then they find success with it. And before long, and it's not long, copycats come out of the word work to borrow their creation and think they're going to have the same results. But it doesn't work that way. There's no template that equates to success. It is the energy put out by the creator of the show that makes all the difference and makes the show worth listening to. When I first started doing podcasts in 2015, I was terrified of letting my real voice out. I thought that the recipe for success was to allow the guests to have the spotlight while I'm in the background, allowing them to get the praise and adulation that they so deserve because they've worked so hard to get where they're at. I should put the spotlight on them. But that was the wrong answer. I hurt myself taking that approach. I eventually realized this is my show. People are pressing play on this show, not necessarily because of my guests, although sometimes you have someone who's really well known and someone will press play just because they see the guest and say, okay, I'll listen to this. But really, you have to be the center of attention as the host of the podcast. You need to be the reason that people press play. Otherwise, you're not going to last long. Now, taking this approach is uncomfortable, but you get used to it. Eventually, you begin enjoying it. Artistry, as I see it, is that way overused cultural buzzword, authenticity. I don't even like that word. People love to use that word, but how often do you see real authenticity in anything? Not often. We as human beings are wired naturally to fit in with the crowd with the tribe. Anything that would make someone stick out from the norm actually goes against human genetics. As we crave community, as Sana and I have discussed on our Bavoshtan podcast, that's what makes real artists so valuable to society, be they musicians, poets, sculptors, podcasters, painters. People are looking for moral permission to say what they believe, and it's the artists that set the tone, give the encouragement or the kick in the pants that people need to set aside the fear of rejection by the tribe and just be themselves. I've somehow managed to either overcome or am perhaps missing the gene expression that compels me to, quote, fit in with the crowd. Anyone who knows me will say that James Newcomb marches to the beat of his own drum. It's gotten me into a bit of trouble in certain social, social situations over the years. Nothing overly terrible, but there have been some awkward moments. I'll just leave it at that. But ultimately, 
here in 2022, because I have uh, followed, quote, my own path, for lack of a better term, I'm in a position professionally to do what I love to do, and I'm able to express my views as I see fit. And I do thank God for this country, the United States of America, and the form of government that allows me to do so. I thank God for the gift of self-expression and the moral courage to say what I believe to be true, even when it defies cultural norms. That thing you know you shouldn't be saying is exactly what you should be saying, because chances are you're the only one thinking that thing. Could be that many people are thinking that thing, and you're the one that has the moral courage to actually say it. I'm not talking about anything immoral, illegal. I'm talking about opinions or views that are unconventional, that fall outside the proverbial three-by-five card of allowable opinion, as my friend Tom Woods would say. Let's go back to this Mozart reference that I've already made here in this podcast, specifically the movie Amadeus. The movie producers made Mozart and Salieri rivals. Mozart, a genius, mocks the court composer Salieri's piece he created, which makes him bitter and envious to the point he sabotages his career and ultimately leads to his death. Not exactly the way it was in real life. Real life, Mozart and Salieri were not bitter rivals. They weren't BFFs, but they were cordial and professional with one another, from what I understand. In fact, Salieri actually was Beethoven's teacher at one point, so the guy was no slouch when it came to music and composing. This story doesn't make for great cinema, but that's the way the movie turned out. You've got to have a villain to make a great story. But the thing that set Mozart apart from the likes of Salieri in the movie, and probably in real life, was his innovation, or I would say moral courage to put on paper what was in his heart. Maybe Salieri was a genius in his own right. Maybe he had similar thoughts or ideas that would have made him stick out like a sore thumb among other composers, but chose to play it safe, because he thought doing so would risk his job as the court composer there in uh, Vienna. I don't know for sure, and I'm taking more artistic liberties than I should as I uh, speak this, these words into this microphone, but just bear with me here. Mozart couldn't keep his innovations inside. To do so would have been creative suicide. He probably could have kept a, quote, real job writing pedantic music that would have kept the social trains running, but it would have been at the expense of writing music that changed the course of history. Music that is still recognizable today, 250 years later. One must be judicious in how they expend their creative energy, lest it be wasted on trivial matters. Now to bring us back to the present day, Society has become so homogenized to the point it's unrecognizable from when I was a kid. In the 80s and 90s, individuality was more prevalent than it is in 2022. You had more character, meaning people weren't afraid to express themselves or allow their emotions to be expressed. These days, what was considered normal, if not acceptable, will land you in either real prison or in the contempt of the court of public opinion. People are literally terrified to speak their minds on certain issues or to deviate from certain causes that, quote, polite society demands we accept and champion. Distinguished professors at major universities are being unceremoniously dismissed for saying things as simple as all lives matter. A couple of years back, I interviewed a composer who was blacklisted by his peers and publishing companies 
for simply suggesting via Twitter that violence is not a healthy way to express condemnation of violence. It seems like common sense to me, but the mob thought otherwise. By the way, if you want to check it out, there's a podcast that I published titled Singers in the Hands of an Angry Mob. Uh, Go check it out if you want to listen to it. Uh, Now, it seems like common sense, but the mob thought otherwise. And those who've been browbeaten into submission by the gatekeepers of polite society condemned this young man for expressing his view and essentially made it impossible for him to create and make a profit from his creations using the channels and the outlets that he had done very successfully up until that point. Scary times that we live in, but haven't they always been scary? The point is that the opportunity to stick out like a sore thumb for all the right reasons has never been more prevalent. People are craving views and opinions that are original, that aren't regurgitated from the talking heads owned by the major media syndicates. Stick your neck out, and you might be surprised at not only will the axe not come swinging, but others will view you as a leader in your industry and will therefore follow you. But it won't happen if you're content with singing the tunes of other people. Love letters to your audience. This is more or less hearsay because I've never been to Disney World and quite frankly don't have a strong desire to do so given their affection for things I personally object to. But I've been told in various marketing trainings I've consumed that the Disney brand loves to reward loyalty to its most devoted fans and followers. For example, at the restaurants at Disney World, if you look at the ceiling, you'll see carefully manicured imprints from various movies such as Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and others. Who looks at the ceiling in a restaurant? their most devoted fans, that's who. Those are the folks who pay attention to every last detail and will notice things if they aren't exactly as they should be. It's not like the folks who run Disney World need to put the effort into doing things such as that, and that's just one example, which I'm sure is not cheap. They could very well have some generic design in the paint and call it a day, and no one would be the wiser. But in a way, they're telling those who care enough to look at the ceiling We love you. We appreciate you. We appreciate your loyalty. It's kind of like a love letter to those 5% of visitors, at the most, probably 2 or 3%, who are the hardcore fans and who in turn will turn their children and their children into hardcore Disney aficionados as they come of age. A little extra expense to carve Belle and the Beast into the paint on the ceiling earns lifetime loyalty for generations of fans. And it's not every person that visits, mind you. It's just a a select few that are absolute, hardcore, dyed-in-the-wool fans of Disney movies. It's smart, long-game marketing. It's ultimately good for the profits and brand recognition. And it comes from a sincere desire to connect on a sociological level with their most devoted fans. 95%, probably 98%, 0.5% of people will come and go through Disney World, they'll have a nice time, and then they'll get on with their list of of amusement parks to visit. But giving that extra effort for that very small amount of visitors who do care is what separates them from the rest of the pack. We creators could learn something from Disney's ways. 
Rather than creating a message that we think is going to appeal to 10,000 people, maybe a better way to go about it is to create a message that will appeal to 500 people, even five people. Build a community of loyal followers with whom you have an intimate bond, as intimate as can be on the internet. And then let others partake of the goodness that ensues. Let them choose whether or not they want to be a part of the tribe. Shows like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are hugely popular, but I would wager not even 5% of fans of those shows really connect with them on such a level as I'm talking about. And I do consider myself to be one of those very few that do connect it with those shows. They're entertaining, they're engaging, unbelievable backstories, the attention to detail with the writing, the production, everything is absolute top of the line. But if you listen to the folks that make the show, there's a bond between them that just cannot be shared with a simple consumer of their content. That is what we need to look for in the content we create be it a podcast, a blog, book, whatever. You make it for whosoever will to consume, but there's a small tribe of listeners with whom you share a wink and a smile, knowing only you and that inside crowd know what the show is really about. Those are the ones who will carry you to the finish line, not the fair-weather fans who consume what you put out and then go on to the next podcast on their list. Artists are leaders. So far in this podcast, I've talked about how artists take the lead in many ways by saying what they know in their heart needs to be said, be it through a podcast, a painting, a song, whatever the case may be. This has never been more true here in 2022, when it seems every institution known to man is bending over backwards to accommodate the shifting winds of what's acceptable in polite society. People are desperate for leadership and are looking for a leader to follow, someone who has the moral courage to say what many others are thinking but are hesitant to do so for fear of being blacklisted by the mob, socially, professionally, or otherwise. People do not follow followers. I once worked for an organization that had many positive attributes, and in some ways provided an outlet to be creative, but the culture as a whole had flaws that I found to be untenable with my own approach to doing business. The people calling the shots were constantly in reaction mode, meaning if something went wrong, there was a reactive mindset fix the immediate problem, and then do nothing to document what went wrong and establish a plan of action for avoiding the issue from happening again. It's no surprise that the issues would indeed happen again, while the leaders would again react to them, continuing this cycle of putting out a mediocre product and creating a demoralizing work environment. Pleas on my part to do things differently fell on deaf ears, which ultimately led to me parting ways with the organization and not necessarily on the best of terms. Being reactive Accommodating and appeasing toward problems and complaints from the inside and outside parties creates confusion and ultimately results in a lack of respect toward a person or or an organization. But real artists are not this way. Artists are the ones who set trends that others follow, for better or for worse. Artistic integrity has real meaning. Bucking the trend makes them easy targets for those who prefer to stay within the confines of what is considered socially acceptable by the crowd. Jobs are lost, reputations are smeared, sometimes families are sadly broken apart, but when the dust settles, they're respected, if for nothing else than saying or doing what they believe to be right. But one must be careful. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Said the prophet Jeremiah in uh, chapter 17 and verse 9. 
Calling oneself a leader without a solid set of principles, moral or otherwise, is a recipe for disaster. Many charismatic personalities throughout history have, quote, led unsuspecting masses down the road to perdition, financial ruin, moral depravity, and much worse. So be careful who you follow, and be even more careful if you find yourself leading others who choose to follow you. One must have a solid set of principles before attempting to lead others. These principles are forged through hardship and suffering, not a fancy certificate from a university, and certainly not by declaring oneself to be a leader on their LinkedIn profile. So if you didn't get all of that, get this. Every time you press the publish button, you're releasing your own unique energy into the world. Don't make the mistake of thinking you need to mimic your favorite influencer in order to be effective at the craft you won't be effective. It will only weaken your own brand. Copying reeks of neediness. Neediness repels like catfish bait. If you don't know what catfish bait smells like, take my word for it that it's nothing you want on your clothes. You were not put on this earth to mimic someone else's style, their cadence, their rhythm. Sure, you can model someone that you respect and admire for a time until you find your own groove, but it should never cross the line into mimicking. A fine line it is, and I can't explain where it is. You just know in your gut when when someone is copying another person. The secret sauce to being likable is to simply speak into the microphone as though you're speaking to a friend. That's the best way to ensure the real you is consumed by the earballs of your followers. Practice, tweak, twerk, experiment to your heart's content, but never compromise your values or what you believe to be true for fear of offending someone else. That thing you know needs to be said, but are afraid to say it because no one else is saying it just might be exactly what needs to be said in that moment, for you were given that thought for such a time as this. 